Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And our text this morning will be verses 1 and 2. But we will read down this morning to the end of verse 12. Hear the word of God this morning. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a messenger or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy come first, And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed." For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all power and signs and false wonders and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but who took pleasure in wickedness. There ends the reading of God's inerrant word this morning. Join with me before we go to our text this morning. Heavenly Father, again, we pray that you would protect your word. We again pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us this morning the truths that are here and confirm in our mind what your word says. And so we pray this morning that you will build your church and encourage us here again this morning as we look at your word in your name. Amen. So the question might be for us today, as we look around at the world and as we see the events that are taking place and we see that things are getting worse, the post-millennialists will tell us that the world is going to become better and the Lord is going to uh, Christianize the world. But as we look around, we certainly see no evidence of that at all. In fact, we see a world that is careening, as it were, to the edge of depravity that continues to go against everything that God says. And maybe for the first time in North America and maybe in Europe for hundreds of years, There's a hostility that's coming to Christianity, and we can see it coming. 
We can see it as the laws are made. We can see it as there, are, there is a censorship of ideas. And though we aren't being openly hauled into, into jail, well, it's not all of us, <laughs> but there's a small minority that are, we start to see a continual persecution of the church. And so the question becomes, as we read Scripture and we see all of this language about a coming judgment and, and the day of the Lord and that all of this punishment, the question becomes, are we going to go through the day of the Lord ourselves? Are we going to have to suffer all that takes place? Are we going to be those who experience the great pictures of wrath and destruction and judgment that we see starting in the Old Testament and revealed all the way through the book of Revelation? Are we going to have to face God's wrath? Or is God going to take us out and remove us from that time of God's wrath? Well, it's interesting because that is exactly the question that the Thessalonians are wrestling with in this passage. It's exactly what they're wrestling with. We are under persecution. We are under trouble from the world. Maybe we are in the day of the Lord. Maybe we are, have missed the gathering of God to bring us to himself. And maybe we, we actually misunderstood. And maybe all of this persecution and all of this trouble is ultimately meaning that we are what? In the day of the Lord. And in fact, they had received a letter that said exactly that. They had received some sort of communication here that told them that they were in the day of the Lord. And they certainly were under persecution. We remember that the church actually started under persecution. You became imitators of us, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 says, and of the Lord having received the word in what? Much tribulation. So there was, there was tribulation, there was trouble. We saw in chapter 1 and in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, Therefore we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches for your perseverance and faith amidst all of what? Your persecutions and afflictions. So this church was facing trouble. They, they, they're un, maybe like we are where there's, we can see the trouble coming. They're already in the midst of it and they've been fighting it. And that actually seems to have accelerated rather than gotten better. So the question then becomes, why would they be so upset to be in the day of the Lord? And what actually is the day of the Lord? What, what, when we talk about the day of the Lord, what are we talking about? Now it's interesting that Paul had already taught them about the day of the Lord. If we turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul had already began to teach them about the day of the Lord. He says, now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. And we said, well, this is kind of Paul's way of saying, well, I've taught you, but I'm going to remind you, right? Because he says, you have nothing to be written to about it, but I'm going to, well, actually, I'm going to write to you anyway, right? But Paul is, is, is saying, I, I, you have nothing 
there's nothing that I need to write you about. In other words, about the, about the future, about the times, about the things that are to come. That similar, lang- similar language to Acts chapter 2 or Acts chapter 1, where, where the disciples had asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says what? It's not for you to know the time or the seasons, the, t- the epochs and the times. And so Paul says, about, about the future, I, have, I don't have anything to write to you. I don't have any need to write to you. For you yourself know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So Paul says, I don't have to write this to you. And and as we looked at that passage, we recognized that Paul didn't need to, to write to them because this was something that was already written, what, in the Old Testament. This was not new teaching. Paul, hadn't, Paul wasn't introducing a day of the Lord that they had never heard about, but it was something that had been taught in the Old Testament. In fact, Amos chapter 5 was written about 800 years before Paul wrote. And in that passage, he talks about what? The day of the Lord. It's the very first reference in Revelation to this time that it described as, as coming that would be a time of judgment. With it, it would bring judgment on those who unbelieved, and eventually it would bring blessings to those who were in Christ. Again, there was these references in the Old Testament to this future event It was a major unifying theme among the prophets themselves. And they all spoke of it. Isaiah says, Isaiah 13, 6, Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. So there's this pointing forward to this day that is coming, a day that will bring destruction on all those who are enemies of God. They will face the wrath of God. They will face God's judgment. He says in Jeremiah or Ezekiel 30 verse 3, For the day of the Lord is near, even the day of the Lord is near, it will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Ezekiel 30 verse 16, I will set fire in Egypt, sin will writhe in anguish. There will be breach, and so there will be distress daily, he says. Zephaniah 14 says, Near is the day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, in it the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day, a day of trouble, a day of distress, a day of destruction a day and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of triumph, trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will stand. So again, there is, we'll be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. So there's this picture over and over in the Old Testament of of a time that's coming and it's focused on sinners and its arrival is sudden. And Paul says, now as to the times and the and the 
Epoch's brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. In other words, this has already been talked about in the Old Testament that there's coming a time that God will judge those who are, are against him, those who refuse to obey him, and he will pour out his wrath. Now we know that this certainly was not just an Old Testament teaching. Jesus himself spoke of this in Matthew 24. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, when he's describing the coming day of the Lord, in verse 21 he says, Jesus says, For then there will be great tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. We do not have time to look through all of Jesus' teaching, but Jesus again reaffirms this idea. The same thing that the prophets spoke about, the same thing that they, they continually repeated, Amos, Joel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them is continued. Remember Peter when he delivers his famous sermon on Pentecost, he teaches at the day of the Lord and he quotes Joel chapter 2. The day of the Lord will come. There will be a time of judgment. And then he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And so there is this time that this day of the Lord that is spoken about over and over in Scripture. This day that will come, this day that ultimately, according to, to, to Paul himself, as he taught them, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord come just like a thief in the night, and that it was focused where? He says this, while they are saying safety, then destruction. And we looked at that passage and we said there was the you and the they. There was a separate group and there is going to be judgment and that judgment was focused where? On those who rejected God, those who were God's enemies. And so there's this day of the Lord that is coming that will bring blessing to the, ultimately to his own, but to those who are against God, there will be this judgment, that, this fury that is poured out upon them, and it is specifically for who? Unbelievers. For those who've rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ will pour out his wrath. He will pour out his wrath on the nations. He will pour out his wrath on Israel to purify them and to call them back to himself. It will come suddenly. In other words, there will be no signs for it to come. It will just come upon them while they're paying, paying, saying peace and safety. And then Paul says this, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day will overtake you like a thief, for you are sons of light and sons of days. We are not of the night nor of the darkness, so let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of hope. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. In other words, Paul says, you're not going to be caught up in this day. 
You're not, going, you're not of darkness, you're of the light. You no longer have to worry about this. Because you're of the light, you will never face the wrath of God. It will never be poured out on you. This day's coming. This day's coming on all those who are unbelievers. But you, you have no fear of this day. He hasn't destined you for wrath. He's he's actually destined you for salvation and deliverance from this day. Now we spoke a little bit and we recognize that there are two events taking place here in Rome in 1 Thessalonians. There's a, a taking away to be with the Lord in, in chapter 4, and in chapter 5, the day of the Lord. And both of these days come without any sort of precursor. In other words, they're both eminent, and if they're both eminent, they must happen at the same time. And so he says, whatever is taking place here, you will not be caught up in the day of the Lord because you will have already been removed. So Paul then, as we come to our text here this morning, says... And, and really starts to deal with. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. And so it's clear then that the Thessalonians are upset and have been, had the apple cart turned on them because they believe that they are in the day of the Lord. And it's clear that they believe that they shouldn't be in the, in, the, in the day of the Lord because they have already been taught by Paul that what? They're not destined for wrath. The day of the Lord will not overtake him. They are of the light. And so you can see that, that as, as, they're, as they've had this letter now, they're agitated because they're thinking we shouldn't be here. How can it be? How can it be that we're in the day of the Lord? Now, I want you to think about it. If they had been taught that they were going to go through the day of the Lord, that they needed to put on their chin straps and get ready for the wrath of God, why would they be upset if they're in the day of the Lord? Actually, there would have been a sense that they would have been rejoicing. The day of the Lord's here. Yes, we were waiting for the day of the Lord because we know judgment is upon us and therefore we know that what? Christ is coming. His his coming is near. But that's not their reaction. They don't rejoice and say, yes, this is what we've been waiting for. We just have a short time. If we can just endure, Christ will return. They're agitated. And so it's clear that they they are upset that the day of the Lord has come and they are in it. And so as we come to our our text this morning, we could really say that Paul here is making uh, a a, a claim and a call to to be calm, to calm their minds, to, to settle down. 
because they have become agitated and, and there's this appeal to calmness. Now notice as he begins this text, and, and maybe we can, we can say this morning there, we have the appeal and then we have the, the reason of the appeal to calmness. But he begins this text and he says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure. Now he starts here and he says, now. And again, this is, uh, I want, he is starting a new subject here as he transforms from from verse 11 and 12 in that prayer that he prayed, as he prayed what we would say the heart of God for the Thessalonian believers, he now transfers to another subject. In chapter 1, he's reaffirmed them as we were and gave thanksgiving for them in spite of persecution. But here now he transforms to the second problem really that's taking place in Thessalonica and that is their confusion and their uproar over things to come. The day of the Lord and future events. And so as he goes through this chapter, he's going to reveal this in in many ways. He's going to show us what's coming and what to expect. And he's going to speak about the Antichrist the man of lawlessness and the things that will take place in the future. And so here he now begins this new subject. And he says, now brethren. And again, we notice with Paul, and, and this is always the case with Paul. When he's dealing with his sheep and he's dealing with those who are are stirred up and those who are in trouble, he doesn't come down on them like a ton of bricks. He doesn't just start kicking them and telling them that they should know these things. But there's a humble approach and he emphasizes, he calls them brethren, he emphasizes their equality in Christ and their relationship with Christ together. There's a bit of tenderness here. You know, when someone's worked up and someone's really upset, you don't go to them and start to yell at them what they need to be doing. Because if you've got someone who's already in emotional distress and you start, you start giving it to them and you start hammering them, what do they do? Wah! It gets worse, right? The people go off the edge because they're already emotional. They're already there. And now you're, now you're demanding and pushing and shoving and what? You just drive them farther. And Paul recognizes that these people are in distress, that they are in trouble And so he deals with them kindly and gently. He just doesn't come to them and say, hey guys, I already taught on this. I already taught on this, smarten up. How, how could you guys think that I would change my mind? I was, I was abundantly clear. I told you face to face, I told you many times, how can it be? I wrote you a letter. He doesn't do that. And so as we come to what we would call a notoriously difficult passage, 
we must recognize that Paul, again, is not here to give you an answer to all your eschatological questions. Now, I think we get some. But the reality, he did not write this so you could write a chart, you could win an argument. He wrote it because he was being pastoral and he was giving them enough information in order to stem their concern. And so, yes, there's much disagreement on this passage. But let us never forget that Paul is here to what? Comfort his sheep. He's not here to gratify our curiosity about end times. And so again, we would say that even here, the instruction about end times is not full. He's not trying to give us everything. He's only trying to give us enough to correct the error and comfort. So he speaks to them what we would call gently and in pastoral terms, and he says, and we request you. This, this term really means I, I plead with you. There, there's a gentleness, there's a, a, a dignity here. He says, I, 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 I request of you, I plead with you. And again, he, he avoids coming down with authority. He avoids, you know, starting to, to get their back up by pushing them and, and being authoritative with them. He doesn't start on a great big long lecture. He's not overbearing, but he's gentle with them. It's the same phrase he used back in chapter 5, verse 12. But we request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who dwell among you. I plead with you, I beg you. Not pulling, he's not pulling authority here. He's coming alongside in comfort. Now, what does he want to persuade them about? Well, with regard or on the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering of him together. This could be translated in the interest of, in the interest of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together. And so the appeal is being made in the interest of truth concerning the Lord's coming and his gathering together. The appeal is meant to be corrective. It is meant to remove understanding and uh, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, he uses the full title here to give the full weight and and how solemn this, this issue is. So the question then becomes for us, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering to him, are those two different events or are they the same event? Is he, is he breaking this up or is he referring to, to the same event? Well, we know that the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word here used is parousia, talks about a lot of different events. It speaks of the coming of Christ. He comes for his church. He comes with his church. He comes to judge. He comes to set up his kingdom. He comes to rule in his kingdom and then establish the new heaven and the new earth. So there are many events in the coming of Christ. 
And so as he starts here, I think this is what Paul, Paul is doing. And, and this, is, this whole sentence is what we would call in the Greek governed by one article, which indicates that he's referring to the same thing. And so he kind of starts with the idea of what? There's the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's too broad for you to know what it means. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to define it for you. I'm going to narrow it for you. And then he says, and at the gathering of our, of our gathering together to him. At our gathering together to him. Now notice this is very similar language. If you, if you remember as we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this language should be ringing in the back of your mind. If we flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul was there addressing the concern of believers who had perished. It's, and again, this is one of those two imminent events that are coming, that are coming in the future. Events that are both imminent. There's nothing that needs to be fulfilled before they take place. And they, since they are both imminent, must take, it, take place at the same time. And he says in verse 13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until what? The coming of the Lord will not precede those who fall asleep, for he himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be what? Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now remember, Paul has just written 1 Thessalonians. This is a couple months later. So as he writes here and as he, as he lays down this, he says, I want to speak to you about the what? I want to talk about the coming of the Lord, which is what? The gathering together to him. In other words, that event that took believers and, and who were both dead and alive and took them to be with the Father in heaven. Notice this. He says this. The coming of what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. If he was talking about judgment, I think he would be speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather our Lord. In other words, it's a friendly way. It's a hopeful aspect of this event. So Paul says, I'm coming to straighten you out, straighten you out. About the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is that event that was spoken of in John 14:3. I'm going to go away, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That's where I am, there you may be also. 
the gathering together. That event, that gathering together, as it is often referred to the rapture. So they weren't worried about the coming of the Lord with regard to the fate of the wicked. They were concerned about the gathering of the saved because if they were in the day of the Lord, they must have concluded that something went wrong. So again, they knew that they had been saved. They had been saved from the idols and delivered from the wrath to come and they weren't expecting God's wrath. They were expecting to be delivered from that. They were told they were not destined for wrath. And so he says, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. In other words, the idea with regard here indicates that they were the, the word regard has the idea of here in respect to. And the idea is this. Paul is defending here or in, in, in defending the truth about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering to him. In other words, I'm, I am writing to you with regard to this truth. In other words, I am defending the truth that takes place. He says, I want to make sure, in other words, I am defending the idea as I write to you. The request I'm making to you is in defense of this truth, in the defense that Jesus Christ is coming back and he's gathering his people together. I want you to recognize that this is why I'm writing. This is the truth. This is the basis of what I'm speaking to you about. I am defending this truth. Because I taught you this truth. I taught you that Jesus Christ was coming back. I taught you that he would gather the saints together. That you would be taken from this earth with, when if you are alive or if you have perished, he will raise you up and take you to heaven and that you would miss the day of the Lord. And this truth I must defend. And then... He says this, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composer or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or by a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. He says, I don't want you to be shaken. I don't want you to, you've lost your composure. You're disturbed through the spirit or a message. He says, this is the effect that the day of the Lord has come. There's no way you can translate the verb has come any other way than it is translated. It means has come. In other words, he says, the day of the Lord, they have taught you that the day of the Lord has come. Now, this is a perfect tense verb. A perfect tense means something that has come in the past with continuing results. In other words, and I want to stress this, Paul is saying 
that these false teachers are saying to the Thessalonians that the day of the Lord is present. Not that it will come, not, but that it has come and is present right now. Okay? And so he says, this, this is, it can't be translated as it might come or will come, but has come, it is present. They are, they are saying to the Thessalonians, the day of the Lord has arrived and is present right now. You are in the middle of it. Well, you can certainly see why that would upset them because they were assuming that they were going to miss the day of the Lord. They had, they had assumed that they were going to miss God's judgment. But now that they were under persecution and now that they were being told this, they were upset. They, had been, they were upset because the, there was a message that had come to them through three avenues. Now, we're not sure if Paul is saying these three avenues it came to you or these were three possible ways. But Paul says there's been, there's been a message. And he says there's a message that has come. And that message, he says, with, has come by a spirit. He says there's a spirit that has come. In other words, there has, a, there has been a, a, someone who has assumed and said, the Lord has spoken to me, he's given me divine revelation, and he's told me that this is the case. So we recognize that in the first century, the, the gift of prophecy was still, was still going in the early first century. And so someone has come along and said, the Holy Spirit has told me we're in the day of the Lord. This persecution is the day of the Lord. So there's a bit of authority there, right? There's a, there's a sense where people are like, well, maybe God did say this. And then they say, or a letter from us, or, or a message. Someone gave a sermon. Someone got up and spoke. There was speech. And thirdly, a letter was written as if from us. In other words, there was a letter that arrived and said, it's from us. It's from the apostles. It's from those who, who worked among us. So you can almost see that someone comes to town, they say they have a word from, from, Paul, from Paul for you. And they say, I, it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit and you guys need to listen to it. I'm going to tell you about it. And here's the letter that it came, from, came in. And it convinced the church that indeed that they were in the day of the Lord. Well, if we look down at chapter 3, verse 17, it seems like Paul understood that probably a letter had actually come to them, that a letter had actually been circulating in the church of Thessalonica. He says in verse 17, I, and it's interesting that he chose this letter to say this. This is not how Paul normally signs off. But here's a church who had been deceived by a letter that had come circulating among the churches. And Paul writes, I write these, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. And this is a distinguishing mark in every letter. This is the way I 
right. So it looks like Paul took his, the pen from the scribe that he was dictating to, and he said what? I'm signing this, and this is the way that every single one of my letters, you will see my writing at the end. This, look at, note my writing. If anything comes that does not have my writing and my signature on it, ignore it. It's not from me. If we look back at verse 2 at the beginning, they were quickly shaken from their composure and disturbed. The word quickly has the idea of being hasty or rashly, sh- rashly shaken. The word composure in the Greek is mind. Shaken means to be broken loose. It can be used of the rocking motion of a ship or a tossing in the waves. It can be used of buildings disintegrating under an earthquake. It can also be used of a ship that is tied in mooring and breaks loose and begins to be tossed by the surf. In other words, Paul says, you guys have lost your mind. You've lost your ability to think. You guys have got, you've just exploded and you've stopped, you're, you've stopped being rational. You've, lo- you've been totally shaken from the truth that you once had and now you're adrift and you're all over the place and your, your mind and your emotions are going everywhere. You're running amok, as one person said. You're operating on emotion, anxiety, fear, and, and pretty severe, a pretty severe condition. You've cut loose from reason. You've panicked. You've heard this, and now you're panicked, and you're not thinking rationally anymore. You're not able to take the truth that you had and to put the new truth through that grid. And then he adds the verb disturbed. means to be alarmed or to be f- out of fear or frightened. Now you think about it. They've been in what? They've been thinking they weren't going to go through the day of the Lord. They thought they were going to be rescued from this day. They thought they were going to be raptured and taken to be with God. And again, if they had thought that they were to go through the day of the Lord, they should have been rejoicing rather than being upset. Again, this word disturb has the idea of clamor, tumult, fear, crying aloud. We don't know for sure, but it'd been interesting to go to the church at Thessalonica. Maybe, maybe you would have actually heard this as they, as they were murmuring and groaning and calling out during the service. Anxiety, people full of anxiety. Thinking that they had missed the day, that they were in the day of the Lord. Thinking they had missed the rapture. Thinking that Paul was wrong. You've got to think about that. If Paul's wrong about this, what else is he wrong about? Right? And this is the thing, when you start doubting the word of God, this is exactly where you go. There's no place to stop. Once you deny its truth, once you deny its veracity, then you're done. Can you imagine you are living in a state where you are are being persecuted, you're defying the, the norms of society, and now you're, the very question and the foundation of your living is being challenged, because if Paul is wrong here, he's wrong about everything, and maybe, just maybe, I've been suffering persecution for no good reason at all. 
So Paul says, don't be shaken. Don't be shaken by this message. Remember the teaching that I taught you. I taught you that the coming of our Lord and the gathering of himself together, you understand what I wrote to you. You understand the day of the Lord and who it's for. And so he says, calm down. Don't be disturbed. You must recognize from what I've already taught you that this simply cannot be true. And so Paul, again, calls for this calm and he says, listen, I want to, I want to assure you, I want to comfort you, I want you to calm your mind because now I'm going to go through the rest of this chapter and I'm going to lay out for you why you can't be in the day of the Lord. I'm going to tell you about future events that will now staple this in your mind and you will be reminded again what I told you before. God is coming to rescue you from wrath. He's not coming to put you in wrath. And you must again recognize we didn't write this. What you got was false teaching. And that's why he says at the beginning of verse 3, what? Let no one in any way, what? Deceive you. Don't be deceived. Thessalonians, you're not in the day of the Lord. Just because you're suffering persecution here does not mean that you are in the day of the Lord. And guess what? We're not in the day of the Lord either. Because we have the same promises that are given to the Thessalonians that God has not destined in us for wrath, but for salvation. And he has laid out that when God pours out his wrath on those who do not believe, he will already have gathered us at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and we will meet him in the air. And notice that. He says, to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering what? To him. It's personal. We're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that to look forward to. We're not just, we're not just gathering, we're gathering to him. He is central. And so Paul says to the Thessalonians, calm, calm your mind. You're not in the day of the Lord. BBC, we're not in the day of the Lord. We will have the same promises. We have the same teaching that Paul taught the Thessalonians. And so we can be assured that we will never face the wrath of God. That's good news. That we will never have to face God's wrath. Because as Paul defends the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering of us together with him prevents us from going in to the day of the Lord. Let's close in prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that when we get shaken, and we lose our composure that we can come to your word of God, to the word of God, and we can have our theology and our thinking corrected to your thinking so that we no longer fear, that we no longer are in, in a place where we tremble. And I thank you for your promises in your word, and we thank you for this, for this scripture here today that tells us
that we will not be in the day of the Lord either. That we will not face that. And so I pray that we would live in joy every day, recognizing that we will never, ever have to face your wrath because you have saved us. You have saved us to deliver us from wrath. And so we want to give you all praise, honor, and glory for you are a good and loving God, I pray in your name. Amen.